My oldest is in eighth grade, and I drop her off at nine o'clock. And I didn't want to take her early today because of the smoke, and so we're pulling through her parking lot at nine. And she has a birthday present uh, for a friend. And as we're pulling through her parking lot, she uh, says, I'm pretty sure this friend's having a party and I'm not invited. And, um, gosh, I don't want to cry this morning. <laughs> um, this is a, so, so my daughter is not perfect, but she is very sweet. She is much sweeter than her siblings. Um, <laughs> they, they are passion and fire, and she is just sweet. And she's the only Christian among her friends. And they, um, she went to a party two weeks ago, and about eight of the girls, she found out the next day, stayed for a sleepover. Who, I'm, so in future planning, don't ever do a sleepover with that many. Either do everybody or like two or three. But not so many that then the couple who are left, I don't I'm an includer, so I have a hard time anyway with anything that's like, invite everyone. <laughs> um, our wedding, anyway, I could go off on. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so she, um, she thinks that they've taken like the big group text, because she's also very smart and very intuitive. And so she has been reading signs. Like, she thinks that they probably have a separate group text going. Some of the, and, and she's also making choices. Like, she has chosen to not do some of the things they're doing. She has chosen to um, not, when some people say, hey, do you want to hang out? No, I don't really want to do that. Um, so she recognizes that some of this is, you know, kind of her own, she has created some distance and now there's more distance. And also she is different and she feels different. She wants to be different, um, but there are consequences to that. And, um, and so she tells me this this morning and I was like, I didn't have a very Christ-like response. I was basically like, that sucks. I want to keep the present. Like, I don't want to give this girl a... And, and she, um, through these, you know, recent friendship experiences has been humbling me because she is... I immediately go to stress and sin. I don't remember what I was going to talk to you guys about this morning because I'm so distracted by the stress of I want to bottle up my sweet girl and how many days do we have left of school and get her out of here. Um, and I want to teach her how to be a mean girl. And I want to like shut down this action and and she continues to go say things that just blow me away. Like, I know they're not intentionally trying to hurt me. Um, I, I want to give this gift anyway because I want to be kind. I mean, she's saying this stuff that I'm like, holy cow, it, I still struggle to have these responses who are you? <laughs> and, and may I not disciple you out of this? You know what I mean? <laughs> and, um, and so it also had me thinking, even Katie in her prayer this morning, we are so distracted this morning, right? It, you know, I've got my Caitlin on my mind, but I, I mean, we could take an hour talking about the people that are on our minds this morning, right? Um, I mean, nod your head if you know someone who's lost their home, right? And, uh, and walking around, you know, people walking in masks. And I mean, even the implications of the fire where we are, and yet we're so removed from the devastation. 
And um, so it seems fitting that this would be our topic. But I also want to acknowledge the fight that we have to be present this morning. And so let's just start by breathing. God designed our bodies with this amazing, portable, present fighting system called breath. And so um, mindfulness, you've probably heard um, about mindfulness through yoga or through therapy or that kind of thing. But here's the thing. God designed mindfulness. And, and so one of the concepts with that is breath prayer. And that is where we slow down and we take a breath. And if you're borderline ADD like me, you close your eyes because otherwise you're too distracted. And you take a breath, but as you're breathing, you are reminding yourself of who he is, or you're crying out to your Abba. You're picking a very short phrase, and you're asking him to meet you. And so something like, Lord, be my strength. Jesus, I need you. God, my Father. It, you're speaking truth over your heart, and you're looking to slow down your insides, because as we dive into stress, we're, you know, how, how compounded can it be? Like we are go-getters by nature, living in a stress-filled culture. Show me a state that's at faster pace than California, New York. Okay, all right, fair enough. There's one. <laughs> Heading into a stressful holiday with the, I mean, even our air right now is a reminder of stress, right? So let's just take a minute and breathe and cry out to our God because he will be our anchor and he will help us to be present to receive this morning. The last time I was up here, the topic was suffering. And uh, my kids and I had been swapping colds, so I was feeling a little tired. And the night before we met, my husband had received a scary diagnosis. Uh, you may have noticed I was a little bit of a mess <laughs> up here. Um, and then the day after we met, I had two counseling sessions because life, a lot of times we can't rearrange our commitments. And then I left to speak at a women's retreat. Uh, I was reluctant to leave, but if you've met my husband, um, you'll understand he uh, is pretty like, no, I've got this, and pretty much pushed me out the door. And on the drive, he called uh, that he had just received news they misdiagnosed him. Oh, and um, overcome by God's gracious timing, I felt free to focus on the retreat. And it was an amazing weekend. And then I came home. And we have that, <laughs> we could say that with so many things, right? <laughs> and the adrenaline from all that stress wore off. I tried to be present for what could have been really sweet moments. You know, fall and Apple Hill and games and time with friends and church but I, I felt foggy. 
it was unnerving. And in an attempt to cope, I'm not saying this was a great way to cope, I pulled my favorite sins over me like a warm blanket. And here's the catch with sin. It seems comforting. It gives the appearance. It's very appealing. It's really good at presenting itself. But it's a blanket full of bugs and poison, right? It leaves us cold. It's full of holes. It leaves us cold. It leaves us rashy. Sin gives the illusion of happiness, but its true motive is to separate us from God and one another, to suffocate us through isolation. Think back last time with suffering we talked about in the garden, that intimacy that we were designed to experience with the Lord and one another. And we thought, I can do it better, and sin made its debut. And its whole motive is to separate us from God, separate us from each other, and shut us down. We are not effective when we're alone. Its whole motive is to tell us we're the only ones, we're the worst ones. You're the only one who makes these choices. No, you should be ashamed of yourself. You shouldn't be in leadership. You shouldn't be serving. What is wrong with you? I mean, it has a very dark voice to it, but it can be convincing, and it keeps us in isolation. It taunts us with the illusion of happiness. We keep choosing sin because sin is appealing. It looks like satisfaction. But the catch, the real trick with sin, is it leaves us in a place of eternal longing. The messages version of Romans 6 describes our sin problem quite well. I'm full of myself. I've spent a long time in prison. I decide one way, but then I act another. The power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. That is me to a T. Sin is vicious, focused on destruction. Tim Keller cites God's advice to Cain, you know, the one whose pride and jealousy escalated to murder. To describe the vicious nature of sin, Cain, don't you see that sin is crouching at the door of your heart? Its desire is to rule over you, to master you. Sin always appears smaller and less potent than it really is. The sin that wants to control us the sin that has the best shot at controlling us is the sin that we're somewhat blind to. It's hiding, waiting, coiled to spring and attack. Be killing your sin or your sin will be killing you. Look, we could camp out on stress. It seems like out of the two, stress would be the more fitting topic for right now. Look at the air outside of us and look at our calendar as we've entered November and let's camp out on stress. But the problem is sin's the real one that's looking to take us out, right? Stress might make us tired, but stress is making us vulnerable to sin and sin will kill us. Sin will destroy. It doesn't, it's not satisfied to stop with a moment of, oh, you're going to curl up under me? Okay, go ahead, sweetie. Oh, you're going to, you know, say no to this commitment? All right, just fine. No, it's going to keep attacking and attacking until it shuts you down, until it discredits you, until it destroys your family. It, I Think about 
the big stories of Christian leaders who have fallen, where does it start? Of course, nobody is ever. I mean, even looking at King David, nobody's ever waking up going, hey, today, I think I'd like to have an affair. No, it starts with those little moments of feeding your own pride. It starts with those little moments of losing the practice of saying no to yourself. It starts with those moments of looking to someone else for a little more comfort or withholding how you're really doing from the one that you're supposed to be sharing that with, right? It starts in those dark, but they don't really seem dark at first, right? But it starts in the corner and then it grows. Look, I said at the beginning, I covered myself with my favorite sins. How well do you know your sins? Could you name your favorite sins? I mean, even something, even something like food, right? We just had that group start. How many of us look to sugar for comfort or carbs for comfort or that glass of wine or withholding from food? And where does it leave us? Tired, stomach ache, fuzzy, disconnected. Hello? Stress makes us more vulnerable to sin. I have no idea where I'm at on my slides. We could really use people, design people, something back here for visibility. Um, Stress makes us more vulnerable to sin. We've already mentioned we live in a culture of stress. We're entering a season of stress. So it's even more important to understand how sin uses stress in its battle plan so we can map out our counterattack. Even thinking about how many activities do we have coming up? How many times are your kids going to miss naps for things that are coming up? Maybe my favorite sin is I just want a break from word choice, tone choice, temper control. Maybe my giving in to sin is I'm going to be more irritable with my kids. I'm going to hold them to a higher standard than I hold myself. I'm going to expect perfect behavior when they are over-sugared and over-tired because this family member makes me really anxious. But rather than managing my anxiety, I'm going to turn into like momzilla. And then I'm going to walk through the following week feeling guilt and shame. And I'm totally disconnected from what could have been sweet moments. Sure, I'm picking out a Christmas tree, but am I really present? No, because I let things snowball. And, and now I'm distracted by this guilt and shame and weariness and embarrassment. So, you know, it's that whole, like, work smarter, not harder kind of thing. Some of this is we have to own, like, how, what are my vulnerable areas and as I'm looking at my calendar, like I could say we have to own our calendar, but some of you might feel like, yeah, right, you know, you want to trade. So maybe I can't say no to the things that are there, but maybe I can own how am I going to be as I move through this? And what do I need in order to avoid some of the sin temptation that's going to come up? Because stress makes me tired. Stress makes me vulnerable. And sin is crouching and lurking. And it's saying, hey, I'm over here. I can help you get through. I'm your best friend. Nobody else understands you, right? It's very taunting and appealing, especially the more mature we are. It'd be easier if my sin was you know, I don't know, go to strip clubs. But hey, we're <laughs> mature believers, right? It's our sin is more sophisticated. Our sin is easier to excuse. And 
also understanding stress when as, as stress comes in and rises you hear me talk about fight or flight a lot um it's our body is designed in this amazing way um but it's not helpful in certain situations so as this stress rises up, I'm going to be channeling my energy to run for my life. Really, really useful if I actually have to run for my life. Not useful if I'm trying to have a productive conversation at 10 o'clock at night um, about difficult choices. No, because as the stress rises up and as we shift into fight or flight, where's that energy coming from? Guess what? It's coming from the prefrontal cortex where executive functioning, decision-making, reasoning, ability to communicate clearly, ability to listen well. Basically, anything that's useful for any kind of human relationship is out the door because your body thinks, I am stressed out, which means I'm in danger, because that must be the only reason that I would be stressed out. Well, welcome to, you know, modern day California living. We're stressed out all the time. Are we running for our lives? Not very often, you know? So learning how to um, manage our bodies in a way where we can sense that things are building up so that we can cut it at the pass. And practicing not nows. It, I wish as focused as we are on training, like moms with young children, on tools like timeouts. I wish that adults were as practiced with giving ourselves timeouts. Because so often, like we're in an environment of urgency. It feels like everything has to happen yesterday. But here's the catch. So often, we'd be better served if we practiced a pause, practiced a hang on, can we come back to this? Give myself some time to come down a bit and be able to think more clearly. And like my story at the beginning of what happened post-retreat, cortisol crashes. So when that stress hormone wears off, it can do the very same thing. I'm foggy, I'm having trouble being present, my memory's a little fuzzy, I'm not communicating as clearly, I just feel funny, I feel off. Well, that's, that's my body, like working the stress out because I didn't have to run for my life. So it's gonna take a little more to get all that energy out. At my house, we call uh, media time zombie mode. And I think the effects of stress are similar. And I wonder how often we go through the motions of worship. How often do we come on a Sunday in zombie mode? And thinking back to that kind of vulnerability we were designed to experience, how far it falls short when we're just going through the motions. It reminds me of Ephesians 5.14. And I wonder if this might be the Holy Spirit's cry to us. Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. I wonder how many of us are needing to wake up. Wake up. Maybe we've been carrying stress at such a high level for so long, we're walking in perpetual zombie mode. Maybe those sins have started to pile up a bit, and it's created such a... Um, like a, 
fat build up around us, you know, this, this kind of buffer and separation around us that we're walking around in zombie mode. And, you know, again, thinking to people who fall, like how often is it when we really start to drill down, there were two people. And how often do we do that ourselves? Where I'm so good at my service side. I'm so good at my leader side or my worship side or my, you know, strong Christian woman side. But then I have this whole other side that's been allowed to form its own shape. I could probably give it a name. It has its own personality. It has its own habits. And there are two of me walking through. And this one is looking to strangle me. It's looking to suffocate me. It's looking to shut me down. It's looking to numb me out. I mean, that's the thing with zombie mode, right? Zombie, when you're in zombie mode, you're never going to be a threat. Just stay in zombie mode. I mean, that's really, I could see that being a mighty strategy of the enemy, right? Let me just numb out the church so that they're not, like, they'll go through the motions. They'll even go through the motions of worship. But are they really engaging? Are they really seeing? Are they really hearing? Let alone talk about the warrior stance that we're called to have. David. I love David. He was all too familiar with the complicated relationship between stress and sin. Psalm 40 gives us a blueprint. It's something to think about as we're heading into the stress of the holidays. David's model starts with look back. I waited patiently for the Lord. He heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise. It always starts with we look back. We look back on what the Lord has done in our midst. Confess. David was really good at confession. Evil has encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs on my head, and my heart fails me. And then we look up. Lord, deliver me. Make haste to help me. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha, which is a throwback to Psalm 3-2 when the people were saying, God has left you. He's left you like he left Saul because who in the world could mess up as much as you have and still have God in their corner? And David responded to them saying, you know what? Because it's him, not me. It's always been him, not me. It never had anything to do with my works. The Lord is the lifter of my head. And so he reminds us again, God, you are my help. You are my deliverer. Stress can form pathways in our brains. Let us be a group of women who have the habit of looking back upon the evidence of his presence, so much so that we're forming different pathways, pathways of promise. Let us practice remembering and anchoring into who he is and what he has done. Let those be the stories that we repeat. And look, this is a temptation. Going back to what I could do as I'm engaging with my eighth grade girl, it is tempting. Let me tell you, there are so many thoughts of what I could do and none of them are 
glorified. You know, there's, there's nothing good in them. Or I can spend time with her looking at who has God been in her life celebrating the hope that she has, celebrating the peace she has that surpasses understanding. I can spend time with her saturating in worship and prayer and looking for moments of gratitude, even with those stupid little girls, looking at the, the evidence of their friendship, the evidence of their flaws. Part of the reason that she can still engage with them, she has other options, but she has chosen not to leave this friend group. And part of the reason of that is I think she has a better understanding of I, than I do that they are doing the best they can. And especially looking at the fact that they're not believers, her expectations are lower for them. And I wonder how often I fall into a place of holding people to a higher standard. I had mentioned earlier holding our kids to a higher standard than we hold themselves. How often am I doing that with the people around me? So being women who choose which stories we're going to tell. Now, David is incredibly authentic. He puts us to shame, but yet he's also being intentional. So in choosing which stories to camp out on, it's not like he's pretending the other stuff hasn't happened. He will talk openly about all of the just wrong and injustice that has happened. He will cry out for justice. But when it comes to camping out, he's going to camp out on evidence of the Lord's presence in his midst because he understands that that is the only thing that will help him through the next day. That is the only thing that will really anchor him through stress. And as a fellow sin lover, he understands that it's the only thing that's truly going to satisfy because he's been down the road of trying the others and they fall short. Remember, they leave us in that state of perpetual longing. And so he is training his mind and his heart to look back on the things that the Lord has done. Look back for the evidence of who he, he is. Remind yourself that he is the rock on which we stand. Remind yourself that he is mighty, that he is victorious, that he is the creator, that he is the redeemer. And look at what has he done in your midst? And as we're walking through such loss and devastation, we can have hope that God will restore and God will redeem because we have seen him restore and redeem. We can have comfort that God is with people in the midst of fire. Even those who lost their lives, that they weren't alone he was with them because we have seen him be present in fire time and again. Confession. We're not great at it. And it's absolutely key. We have got to figure out how to get better. How vulnerable can I be? How vulnerable can I be with God if I'm pretending? When I was in college, I was worshiping, and I had this very clear picture, and God doesn't usually speak to me in pictures, but I had this very clear picture, and I was worshiping with my hands up, and he was showing me the disgust of my sin as my hands were lifted up. It was like I was lifting up the darkest secrets, the sins I was embarrassed about. Not the sin, like, you know, 
some of them, again, we can excuse, we can whatever, but the ones I was embarrassed about, and my hands were lifted up, and he was accepting me. He was accepting my worship as my hands were lifted, covered in the filth of my sin. That is our God. He will never ask you to clean yourself up to come to him. Picture all of the images of God with his arms open. The, the father, the prodigal son, he's been in pigsties. I mean, how smelly, really? How gross did he look? And yet, God running to him, running to him, to welcome him with open arms. Christ scooping up the kids, open arms. Think about kids when they're stinky, when they're, you know, kind of like just, ugh. But you still open arms, right? You're crying, I will scoop you up. You feel embarrassed, come on out. It, that is his desire for interaction with us, that we wouldn't be good people. He doesn't want good people. Forget good people. He, he wants surrendered people. And then to each other. What in the world does that look like? I have been, I'm humbled a lot. I think partly because I um, struggle with arrogance. So I think God is just really enjoys opportunities <laughs> to, you know, um, put me in my place, basically, um, with open arms, of course. And um, I have been uh, engaging with a leader who um, struggles with same-sex attraction. And there, the way they are approaching confession is so incredibly humbling. Their boldness, their honesty, um, their, their willingness to walk like this with confession. So I think, you know, part of the mature believer is we become pretty good at walking like this with, okay, God, I'm going to teach my ears to hear you, and I'm going to practice saying yes even when it's inconvenient and even when it means rearranging my day or even when it's uncomfortable. But do I do that with admitting my secrets? Do I do that with admitting my habits? Do I do that with admitting my arrogance and my attitudes? Because remember, sin, like when we look at the list of sin, right, it's not just behavior. So often it's how am I conducting my mind and how am I conducting my mouth, right? I, I don't have the answer for what this is supposed to look like, but I do feel convicted that we will not make very much movement as a body of women, especially in settings like this, if we don't somehow practice this. I'm not saying now when you have small group time, turn it into this like gnarly, nobody will show up, right? Like, and that's not healthy. I mean, we have to have boundaries, especially if you don't know each other. Like, hi, nice to meet you. Let me give you my laundry list of favorite sins. But... But somehow, some way, we've got to grow in this area. We have to stop trying to be put together, which is hard, I think, especially when we live in an area where everyone looks so pretty, right? You know, it's because it gives the impression when we look on the outside, we make a lot of assumptions about the inside. Right? And so it gives this impression that we are more put together than we actually are. And then it leaves us vulnerable to pretend or keep moving forward and, you know, get my house all like pretty for the holidays and do these, you know, fun bucket list activities and, 
and moving forward, but I'm walking with a limp. And I'm not acknowledging the limp because it sure doesn't seem like anyone else around me has a limp. And so think back to the lies of the sins, right? There must be something wrong with me. And so I'm just going to keep moving. The last practice from Psalm 40, from our good friend David, who is, um, again, so acquainted with stress sin, stress sin, stress sin. You know, we see him, the stress from his choices, the stress from his environment, the stress from complicated family dynamics. I mean, think of a stress source that David hasn't experienced. Um, Maybe the stress of balancing multiple competitive sports or something. But in general, most stress categories David has experienced and most sin categories David has tried. And, um, and so as we look at his model of look back on the evidence of the Lord's work in your midst, look back on the evidence of who he is, practice confession because confession puts us in a more open place. Confession puts us in a more vulnerable place, and God can only work with open people, right? If I'm shut up like this, it's, I mean, he'll still work in his midst because he's so good, right? But how much more effective is it when I'm in this open place? And then the last piece is you look up. So often as we're reading David's words, and this is true in Psalm 40, he's feeling stuck. So the confession place is really that's, that's where he's at in that moment. And um, he feels stuck by his choices. He feels stuck by his circumstances. He feels stuck by the people in his life. You know, you can't change who you're related to. Um, You know, there are a lot of different relationship pieces when we look at David that we can relate to ourselves. And so this last piece of looking up, this is a clue on this is what you practice in the midst of the waiting, in the midst of the not knowing, in the midst of the stress. When you're still working your way out of the sin or when you're still dealing with the rashes that the sin left you with. The first piece is worship. David was a man after God's own heart and yet his sin surpassed our own the authenticity and vulnerability he invites us to practice does not require the absence of sin. Rather, God asks us to come to him in the presence of our sin. One of the things that I really appreciate about the children's ministry at Creekside is that any time I've heard teaching from them, it's not about raising good kids, Right? It's raising kids who know how to come to God when they're not good. And that is what we need to practice, that we worship no matter what, that we sing the words even when we don't believe them, that we listen to the songs, that we listen to the words, even when we feel fuzzy and foggy, that we put ourselves in environments and in the practice of worship, even when we feel stuck, even when we're not sure what's around the next bend, and even when we're feeling pretty disappointed with ourselves. And in that place of worship, we practice an open posture A thank you, God, for accepting me in this worship, even though you see my filth. Thank you, God, 
that Christ stands in my place, that it's not ever about what I'm doing, that it's not ever about me impressing you, that it's not about my good works, it's not about how many yeses I've said. Thank you for accepting me in this place, even though I keep going back to the same crummy coping strategies. Thank you for accepting me in this place, even though I haven't grown as much as I'd like. We practice in that worship, it's the twofold. I am practicing that vulnerability with you, and I am also practicing receiving from you. And that leads us into truth, that we attune our ears to his voice. We train them to make his voice louder than that of fear, than that of our harder family members, than that of the lies that sin is looking to taunt us with. We make his voice louder than that push towards isolation, than that push towards separation. We make his voice louder than all of the pretty things in our midst that are trying to tell us, I will satisfy you. I will give you rest. I will help you calm down. That we learn how to listen to him so that we're better at leaning into him. And then the living water. Think back to the woman at the well. How often had she tried to satisfy through earthly things? And she was stuck in that place of eternal longing. And, you know, I think it's easy to look at characters like her and point fingers, and I wouldn't do that. I've had one husband, not six, or, you know, and the, the distinctions there. But, but then I go back in time and, and start to wonder how desperate she felt at times and how much they wouldn't have used the word stress, but how stressed and how many of her choices were because she didn't think she had any options. And how often do I choose what seems like the easier route or what seems like the only route rather than taking a drink from something that truly satisfies, right? And I think we need to be careful especially with the timing of this topic, that our takeaway isn't just, well, get it together, do something better, you know, work harder, change that unhealthy pattern woman at the well. What is wrong with you? Go to counseling, figure out why you keep choosing unhealthy men. Have they been abusive? Look at what might have made you vulnerable to that. Do your own work. And miss the greater invitation. And that is take a drink, beloved. Take a drink. That's enough. It doesn't mean that work won't come but sit and breathe and drink of the living water and remind your soul how good it is. And allow that moment of pleasure of a different kind of satisfaction, of a different kind of peace. Let's keep it simple. 
the, there's always opportunity to do the work. The work will come. Save it for January. <laughs> Allow yourself a pause. Allow yourself a moment, an honest conversation. Practice, you know, where are you at in Psalm 40? Do you need to remember? Do you need to practice looking back? God, remind me of even one time that you did something miraculous. Remind me of even one time that you were faithful. Remind me of even one time that you changed somebody because I'm looking at people who just seem incapable of change. Am I in a place of confession where I need to come to him and go, boy, I have been putting all kinds of things on that throne above you. Because remember, sin can even be I'm looking to people rather than you. I'm looking to a friend or a child or a spouse for the kind of strength and wisdom and support and comfort that only you are supposed to provide in my life. And maybe that's my sin, that I keep putting other people in your place. Or maybe it's that I'm placing my value on things that are good, but they're not supposed to be my value. I'm losing sight of who you say I am. Or maybe I'm just too focused on me, and I need a break from me to look at you. So maybe our pause is a place of confession or maybe our pause is a place of looking up. Train my eyes to lift to the heavens from where my help comes from, the mountains, not the heavens. But hey, you guys know to translate. Maybe it's uh, I'm looking up because if I keep looking down, I'm going to just become a pile of mush. Or I'm looking up because... I'm such a good problem solver, but if I keep turning this thing over, it will become mush. And I need to look up to remember that, yeah, I'm pretty good, but hey, you're better. And, and you're asking me to just let, let go of the Rubik's Cube for a moment. You can come back to your good problem solving skills, but focus on me for this moment. I'm going to pray, and um, we have some time. We weren't going to go in separate rooms. Yeah, stay here. here. Stay here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Okay.